Hey everyone, it's Liz Edwards, your host for today, and I am with Dr. Megan Stauffer. We are in our Hermitage location today. We're so glad we got to talk to you today. And yeah, just kind of chat fun. and catch up, and um, it's a it's a crazy time of year. I'm seeing that uh, ragweed is still in our pollen count every day. Yes, absolutely. That I would expect that till the end of November. I usually say sometime around Thanksgiving we should expect all ragweed and all the other weeds really to be out there. Yeah. Do you find that um, people at this time of year are suffering and they're not sure why and they're wondering if it's like flu or some of the other crud? Yeah, this is a hard time of year because you get the temperature changes, which some people are really sensitive to, and then you get the allergy that's causing issues. And then on top of that, you throw in the viral illnesses that are very common. So people have a lot of, lot of issues for multiple reasons this time of year. We're going to kind of hop all over the place today. And I think what we'll do is we will start with um, you and just why you got into allergy. I know your dad was a physician. Your dad My dad was a, vet, a veterinarian, yes. yes. And so my grandfather was a physician. Okay. Um, so that played a little role into it. But, but when I was growing up, I was actually really interested in like natural sciences. So I was sort of like interested in outdoors and I went to a nature camp for two weeks to learn about like reptiles and botany and all these things. So, and then I majored in biology in college. So I went to college, I thought, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna be a vet, I'm not gonna go into medicine. Um, but then I finally was like, well, I mean, I think I'll give it a try. So I went, went to med school and then while I was there, I did an allergy rotation. And, um, you know, you sort of make lots of decisions about what you want to do based on many factors. But, you know, some is lifestyle. You decide, you know, based on your personality, whether or not you're cut out to be a surgeon or in the emergency room. And I knew that was not my personality. Mm -hmm. um, when I did the allergy rotation, I thought this sounds seems like something that combines a lot of my interests. Like I love pediatrics. I, but I also like to see adults, so allergy provides that. And then it sort of combined my love of like outdoors and the environment, right? Because I mean, every day we're, we're like looking at pollen counts, you know, we're thinking about the environment and the things yes. that are outside. So I just sort of love that it brought both of those things together. And you um, did do extra pediatric training. Right, so I did a pediatrics residency first. Um, and, um, but I, so I always, from the beginning, knew I wanted to do a specialty and was fairly certain it was allergy. Um, I just love taking care of the whole family. Um, I like, you know, I see a lot of kids and then I'll end up seeing their parents. Um, and so I, I think that's just unique about this specialty. It really is. And of course, you see me and my son. Right. <laughs> and we are both um, success stories about uh, when it comes to allergy shots. Talk about that and um, the decision to put a patient on allergy shots. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of things go into making that decision. By the time we see a lot of patients, they've tried everything. You know, they, they've had years of taking their Zyrtec and Flonase. And I think, you know, by that point, we know what it's done, which for some people is just, you know, not enough. They may be having complications from allergy, like sinus infections or maybe making their asthma difficult to control. And so those patients, you know, we know there's something that just can make things so much better and just really improve their quality of life, life and their 
and to modify the diseases. So, um, you know, it's a commitment. We talk about what the commitment involves, um, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think, and, and that's when I make the decision with patients. I mean, I, I, I get them to the point, I'm like, we, this is what, the only thing we sort of have left to do something that's gonna be much better than you've done before. And, um, and so it becomes, a, you know, a conversation between me and the patient to decide when it's time. But it's great that we have things available to do that are so yes, helpful. that changes that, the exact, trajectory. Yes, and that's I what mean, I love about it. I yeah. mean, I just love that it's like, I really feel like I see, at, you know, even shortly into it, like a patient's quality of life is just so much better. You know, I and I can see that happen. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. Both of us um, immediately started to feel better, even though we still had quite a bit of uh, program to finish, if you will. Yeah, it took right. us both a, a couple of years right. to, to get through it, but. I know, and I tell patients, you know, this this didn't start overnight. <laughs> we can't just like turn off the light switch. You know, right. this usually has gone on for years. So most people start to feel better. That length of time being on shots, which for most people in general is like three to five years, just depending. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's to make sure we go through this, and this is the only time you have to do it. I mean, that we can turn that allergy down enough to yeah. be able to make it a permanent change. So that's what's great. Do you have allergies yourself? You know, I have. I'm allergic to cats, but okay. but other than that, I'm I'm good. <laughs> do you have cats at home? I do not have cats. No. Okay. I think that's a big myth. A lot of people get worried um, about whether or not they're going to find out they're allergic to their household pet. But we do tell people they do not have to get rid. No, of No, I'm not. Pet. I'm not one of one of those that makes people get yeah. rid of pets because we have things that can. And most people. And my dad was a vet, as we mentioned, so mm -hmm. I understand how important, you know, animals are to families. We have two dogs of our own and, you know, I, I want my, we want our dogs in our home. So there's, for people who have allergies, there's things we, there are things we can do that ensure that they can continue to live with keep the pets. The yes, keep the family Exactly. Exactly. So you and your husband, Clay, you have three kids. That's right. So we have three kids, 11, nine, and five. So busy family. Goodness. Yes, <laughs> you guys are busy. What do you guys like to do in your free time? I always love to ask like, what families So do. I think the thing we probably like to do most as a family is we travel up to a place in Swanee that we go to sort of regularly. As mm -hmm. We are very busy. My husband has a busy job. and. And so we spend a lot of time sort of outdoors and, um, you know, hiking and swimming and all that. So I'd say that's, and then, you know, my kids are involved in lots of different things. My daughter's in musical theater, so we have plenty to do there. My middle son's in lots of sports, so there's always, you know, sporting events. Um, You're always so running. We're always, we're always doing that. Are they excited about Halloween coming up? Oh yes, we have had our Halloween costumes picked out for probably two months. <laughs> That's I awesome. couldn't get them to agree on a family costume this year, but uh, so they're all doing their own things. Okay. But, um, last year we did a Star Wars theme. My awesome. my youngest son is obsessed with Star Wars, so yeah. I got everybody to do. It was I even dressed up. I was that's Princess wonderful. Leia. Oh, that's wonderful! <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, and we you just got through doing um, an interview uh, with Channel Five here in town, talking about Halloween and teal pumpkin. Mm -hmm. um, we see the teal pumpkins everywhere, but just to refresh everybody what it's about, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a really neat initiative. It actually started in Middle Tennessee, and it's uh, you might see in businesses or on front porches these pumpkins painted bright teal, and that's just to indicate that that home ha provides allergy-safe 
alternatives, whether or not that's candy or other items that would be safe for kids with allergies. So it's, it just represents a place that's safe for a child to come. Um, and so, you know, Halloween can be stressful for parents of children with food allergies because, you know, there's more risks. There's just more things they're exposed to. And a lot of the foods, are, the candy are, are made in different factories than they're used to. So there may be different exposures that they, you know, you're used to eating X candy bar. Well, it's made somewhere else. And if, if they eat that, it could contain something they're allergic to. So it's, right, yeah. because in mass production, people aren't thinking, especially at the holidays, these companies may change the way they're Absolutely, right. Everything. So they may, you know, maybe in a nut-free facility in the regular size, but in a different size, it may be produced in a completely different factory and have exposures. So, um, mm -hmm. so having something like a chill pumpkin helps parents, you know, feel a little safe, a little more safe and going, going to um, trick-or-treating. Yeah. You and I have done this comparison before where we've gotten the bucket of candy and the bucket of non-food items. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been cheaper, actually, to right, buy that's right. the exactly. items. And I can tell you, you know, my kids always sort of like those things. You know, I, I, like you get a little overloaded on the candy. I mm -hmm. mean, my middle son, you know, brings home a pillowcase full of candy. It's like, we really cannot eat all this, right? Yes. So let's, you know, so we do sort of like to have a little trinket here and there, you yeah. know? So I, I think other kids enjoy it too. It's not just the I kids think, with food allergy. Yeah, because at my house, when the trick-or-treaters come up, I find that they spend a lot of time at that bowl that has all the bubbles and the stickers and the erasers and the... Right, and absolutely. And they're not really right. interested as much in, yep. the, in the candy. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun alternative for everyone, really. It definitely is. If someone is suspecting that their child has a food allergy, what are the first steps? Um, as parents, we tend to see, you know, well, I have a rash from this, or that didn't seem to sit well. But mm -hmm. how do you start to really uh, weed that out? I mean, the history is probably the most important thing. So uh, it's great when families come in and they have really spent time sort of looking at what are what kind of reactions are related to what specific foods it's typically fairly obvious for a true food allergy it's an immediate reaction usually occurs within you know 15 30 minutes maybe up to an hour to two at the latest it's almost always hives which are like welts that are itchy and move around um, and the first that's usually what happens on a first exposure is like hives once it, with the very next exposure it often gets worse and may involve other organ systems like vomiting or it's usually a repetitive vomiting or a repetitive diarrhea mm -hmm. um, coughing wheezing and more generalized hives so it tends to it's with a food allergy it's not going to stay the same it's going to almost always intensify if you continue to eat that food okay. um, so coming in with the history after that we can then direct testing um, at the food of concern. Mm -hmm. Now I've been around before where you've actually done uh, what's called the oral food challenge right mm -hmm. here in the office. Mm -hmm. Tell us mm -hmm. about that and how a patient would get up to that level. Yeah, so it's um, often when we feel that they have either outgrown their allergy, mm -hmm. um, I, then we'll do, we'll do food challenges. Often um, I do a lot of them in, for milk and egg because milk and egg, um, you can be allergic to either um, the lightly cooked egg, where it's just, or in lightly cooked milk, um, 
Or, but a lot of those kids can tolerate the highly baked egg, like if it's baked 350 degrees for more than 30 minutes, like in a muffin or a cake, mm -hmm. but they couldn't eat like scrambled egg. So once I do testing, skin testing, and oftentimes blood work, if I think that they might, they've never had like a baked product before, but I think based on testing, they could tolerate a highly baked product, then we would do a food challenge and we'd come in and we do very small small doses every 15 minutes until we get in what we think would be a serving for that child and if they can then they can add that to the diet which can open it up quite a bit sure. particularly with milk and egg for those children because there are lots of things that it's really low on the ingredient list or um, that that they would otherwise have to avoid mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? I've seen this recently in the news about certain uh, school districts in particular getting rid of their allergy zones. They're getting rid of lunch tables that are just nut free or and they're they're trying to um, I guess group everybody back together. Back together. What are you know, your I think some of that's very that? age dependent. I mean, okay. I think that they're, you know, the younger children, that's obviously, you know, that's not going to me in my opinion not going to work for definitely, you know, young, like the preschool age type, but, um, right. and a lot of those schools are not free already. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, I, I think that's, there's certain kids that probably works for and others that would be more difficult. To me, it seems potentially on a more case by case basis, some families too may not feel comfortable with that. So, sure. um, um, I mean, I do see trying to get people to not feel excluded as mm -hmm. you know that that's definitely I know for some families bothersome when mm -hmm. they may be the only child sitting or one or two children sitting together I know some some um, schools will like let you know one or two friends sit with, with them yes, you know and like yes. they know that their foods mm -hmm. you know safe um, so I think that's I mean that's a challenge for schools for yeah. sure to manage it and to make you know everybody feel like they're not left out, but also safe. When we were growing up, I didn't know anybody with a food allergy. Did you? I didn't. No. Okay. No. And it has increased what, so what dramatically. Think, what, are, what are you hearing or what are you thinking that caused the uptick over these last 10 years or you know, so? That's the million dollar question. I mean, I think yeah. there are multiple. I mean, there are definitely multiple theories on that. Um, everything from vitamin D abnormalities, things in our environment, like we're just too clean. Mm -hmm. We call that the hygiene hypothesis. Um, I do think some of it, and time will tell this, but for a long time we were making recommendations about delaying introduction of highly allergenic foods into the diet, right. like egg and peanut, you know, till later. And now we've, in the last couple of years, reversed that to, to recommend getting that into the diet very early. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I think in the countries where they were before getting it in the diet early, they have less food allergy. So our thought is now is if we, you know, get that peanut in in the first year of life, that that would potentially decrease the incidence of food allergy. But it really has. I mean, it's almost, you know, increased 50% in the last 20 years. So it's probably multifactorial, but I do think early introduction is likely to change that that trajectory. What are some of the the youngest ages of the patients that you're seeing that are coming in with food allergy? So I would say I usually see about six months and up um, okay. because that's usually when they're starting to introduce foods. Okay, yeah. Um, but food allergy can happen at any time. Um, I, there are adult onset food allergies as well. Um, 
fish, shellfish, and nuts are the most common, with, with shellfish probably being the most common food allergy. Okay. And then we're seeing that really weird food allergy, the alpha-gal, which yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. that is probably the most common which in this I area. I die if I could not I eat know, red meat. Right? I love steak. Um, but yes, uh, talk about what that yeah, is, because okay. I don't know if everybody it is familiar is, with it. It is, it is bizarre. I mean, yeah. and we, when they first described it, a lot of us were like, what? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, it's, so when you're allergic to a food, you're allergic to a protein within a food. However, okay. this food allergy, you're allergic to a carbohydrate. So number one, that goes against anything else we've ever known about a food allergy. So it's a, and the carbohydrates mainly found in the fat of foods. Um, and somehow what happens is you get bit by the Lone Star Tick. It introduces this allergen that it had obtained from the deer it was on, mm -hmm. and that triggers your immune system to become allergic to this protein or this carbohydrate called alpha-gal. And then what happens is you get these delayed reactions like three, six, or even eight hours because that, pro that carbohydrate found in the fat takes so long to digest. And so then it's absorbed and then you get these um, reactions and it's classically hives in the middle of the night, like waking up at two in the morning, severe abdominal pain and hives all over. Um, I mean, I can almost diagnose that before I walk in the room if that's on the chart. I mean, it's, it's like, chart, yeah. it's because most people have their fattiest meal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, it tends to be, so it tends to be worse in higher fat food of, of the mammalian meat. So this is any mammalian meat. This is beef, lamb, pork, venison, I mean, any ma mammal. Yeah. Um, but most of us tend to have that worse, you know, more, mostly in the evening. So it tends to be worse in the middle of the night, but it can also be inconsistent. So some people, it depends what else they ate at the meal. If they had any other factors like exercise or alcohol that increases okay. absorption. Mm -hmm. Some people can tolerate leaner cuts. Um, so it's just, it's hard to diagnose with a history unless, I mean, sometimes I can get, get the history enough to, to figure out that it's what it is, but it's just different than a regular food allergy. That's just this immediate reaction. Okay. Yeah. That, so we're seeing that a lot in this area because the Lone Star Tag. It's here. It's here. Yes. And um, in certain areas, we know there are people that spend a lot of time outdoors and so they get tick bites. That is fascinating. <laughs> and yet it would be terrifying for our household because we are. We have meat probably four nights a week. So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I've seen it on the charts and I've, mm -hmm. I've heard people talking about it and I just wanted to get your take on it mm -hmm. because it just seems um, like a curveball. Yeah, exactly. You know? Oh, I know. And it tends to be the people, you know, I see a lot of it in hunters who spend, you know, and yes. they're really not happy about that. No. Because that, you know, they love to hunt and be outdoors and then they yeah. can't even eat what they, you know, what they get. Um, but Yes, it is becoming more common in this area. Well, that is very interesting. And speaking of, it is your lunchtime. So we're going to let you eat. And I want to check in with you more often. And um, I know we have a number of things that we get to chat about. But thank you so much yeah, for being with us absolutely. today. Absolutely. That was fun. And uh, good luck with the Halloween costumes <laughs> and, and trick-or-treating. It'll be fun. It's exactly. a fun week. It is. All right. Thank you so much.